Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. So one of the things we've been exposing in this series is spiritual warfare. Because a lot of people think spiritual warfare is just handled in certain ways, but they don't realize it's in your everyday life. So when we looked at first, we opened up in the series, we talked about offense and how the Bible calls it the trap of Satan. That a lot of people are trapped by the enemy and don't realize it because they're offended. Then we talked about the second week, how dealing with your anger, that if you don't deal with your anger correctly and let your anger last longer than 24 hours, you're pretty much singing to Satan, won't you be my neighbor? We looked at anxiety. Because we're a society that's filled with anxiety, drugs and illegal drugs that deal with anxiety at all time high. But we don't realize that's also an open door to the enemy. We looked at what is actually deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things, and how does that war against your soul? And then last week, we looked at insecurities and how that affects you and can take you off of God's path for your life. And so we're going to keep going in the same direction today. Remind you, Mark chapter 4, verse 14, when Jesus interprets the, one of the most important parables of the Bible. He said, the sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. They heard the word, but they didn't receive the word. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So these people receive the word, and they receive it with a shout, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, or persecution, which is pressure brought by people, arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And the majority of the way persecution comes, it's not always at the highest level, like we saw in certain places in the Bible and certain places in history where they're coming for your life. Persecution is any pressure brought by people, and in our area, in our day, is a lot of pressure brought by their mouths. The words of their mouth, or the words of their post, or the words of their tweet. Pressure brought by their words to make you back off of the word of God. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time, and when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and then the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things enter in, choke the word, or crowd out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So one of the things we pointed about about this, the people who deal with the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things, it didn't say the word wasn't in their heart. It didn't say they didn't receive the word. The word was there. They received the word, and the word was growing in their heart, but so was the anxiety. So was the deceitfulness of riches. So was the lust of other things. All those things were growing together to the point it said it crowded out the word. So the word became unfruitful. It didn't say the word didn't die off. It didn't say the word wasn't there. It's just the word wasn't working for them. See, a lot of people get frustrated with faith or the word. This is, well, I tried this faith thing and didn't work. No, I tried this word thing and didn't work. I worked the word. But you're also working anxiety and deceitfulness and riches and lots of other things at the same time, and the word's not producing for you. And the thing is, people expect it's their pastor's job or their prayer warrior's job to get those weeds out of their heart. No, it's your job. You are the gardener of your heart. One of the reasons we teach the word in such a way is to help you expose those weeds or those trees some of you have let grow in your life. Because some of it started out of weeds, now it's a forest. 
and through the anointed ministry of the word, we can help you get some off and we can help you get some out, but you still have to maintain it. Wow, I got really quiet on this one. See, I was just around Bishop for a couple days about to ask him and ask you guys for three hallelujahs real quick. You need to get those weeds out of your heart. You need to protect your heart. Like Proverbs says, you need to guard your heart. See, one of the things we learn about weeds is it makes the healthy plant corrupt, diseased, discolored, disfigured, imbalanced. Some people have unbalanced Christianity because of what's growing in their heart. They have diseased Christianity because of what's growing in their heart. They're saved. They're going to heaven, but they're not having the full manifestation of the Christianity that Jesus died for them and rose again to give them because of what's going on in their heart heart. So we've been covering that. And if you missed any of the series, I encourage you to go to YouTube, go to our app, go to Facebook, go to the podcast and catch up. We put all those things out there for free for you. And so one of the ways we define care, as I said, was anxiety, worry, and it's anxiety that distracts. And we said, these are seeds, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things that the enemy seeks to sow to distract you from focusing on the things God wants you to focus on. So now let's go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. It's going to be a scripture I'm going to reference a lot probably for the rest of the year. Psalm 25, verse 4 and verse 12. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. For all those who reverence the Lord, they have a covenant right to know God's path for their life. God has a plan for your life. Say, God has a plan for my life. God has a path for your life. So say, God has a path for my life. But the question is, are you following the path? Because if God says, follow the yellow brick road, but you sound like silver better, are you on the path God has for you? Or have you allowed some things to take you off the path and put you onto another path? And so this series is called Soul Wars. So I've been using a lot of Star Wars examples for the last couple months. And as I told you last week, Yoda had this saying in one of the movies. He said, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And that is the path to the dark side. There is a path to the dark side. And so we looked at last week how insecurities and discouragement can take you down the path to the dark side. Things that seem so normal that everybody deals with, but if you don't deal with it correctly, it can take you to the dark side. And today we're going to look at something else that seems normal. That is what everybody deals with that can also take you down the path to the dark side. Go to James chapter 4. No matter what you face in this life, there is a promise for your path. There is a promise for your path. So if you run into some situation that seems really tough, remember, if God's called you down that path, there is a promise for your path that will bring you deliverance, victory, restitution, and restoration. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. That's good news. 
that he doesn't run out of grace. He gives more grace. In other translations, he gives greater grace. So there's always more grace for you to receive, and there's always greater grace for you to receive. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud. How many of you want to be in a place that God resists you? You know, there's an old church saying, your hands are too short to box with God. But gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, one of the things I want you to understand about pride, pride can be a response and a connection point to all of Satan's five tactics of affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. All five can be in play when you deal with pride. Pride can cause people who hear the word not to receive the word. So that first group of people Jesus talked about, the word was preached, and it felt like it was roadside. They didn't receive the word. Why? They didn't agree with it. They didn't value it. They didn't want it. They thought they knew better. They were in pride. The word came. This is now I'm not going to take that word. So Satan was allowed to take the word away from their life because of their pride. It allowed them to steal the word to be stolen from their heart. Pride will take you off the path that God has for you. Pride will take you down the path to the dark side. So let me give you some biblical definitions for pride and humility, because we all define things differently, but we need to make sure when we deal with a subject, we have the biblical definition. Because some of you will get on the other side of this, see, pastor's talking about pride, so you're not allowed to say, I'm proud of somebody. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Please tell your kids you are proud of them. Because that type of pride is not what I'm talking about. That type of pride is defined as, I am greatly pleased with what you did. What you just did has pleased me greatly. Now, we don't talk that way anymore. If you went out public and said, yes, that has greatly pleased me, people look at you like, what is going on in your life? Someone's been reading way too much Shakespeare. And so when we're telling our kids, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. It's like, I'm greatly pleased. I'm, gra- I'm really happy with what you did. So please tell your kids you're proud of them. Please speak life into them. But this is not the type of pride, quote-unquote, we're talking about when we're dealing pride in the matter of this verse and the verses we're going to look at today. Pride is the quality of having an excessive high opinion of yourself or your importance. An excessive high opinion. Not a high opinion. An excessively high opinion of oneself or one's importance. It's similar to another biblical word, haughty. Haughty means arrogantly superior and disdainful. Arrogantly superior and disdainful. So pride is the quality of having an excessive high opinion of oneself or one's importance. It's similar to another biblical word of being haughty, which is arrogantly superior and disdainful. Now humble. Humble does not mean that you're some lowly worm deserving of nothing. Biblically defining humble is not viewing yourself more highly than you ought. Remember, we looked at Romans 12, 3 last week, and Paul said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So you are to think highly of yourself, but you're not to think more highly than you ought. So how do I know if I'm thinking too highly of myself? You're thinking more highly than you ought when you're looking down on someone else. 
Because now it's gone from having a good, healthy self-esteem and appreciating who God made you to be to being prideful and being arrogant or being haughty. Being humble also means having an accurate view of yourself. Do you have an accurate view of yourself? See, a lot of us, we judge others based off what they did, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And so you have to be careful how you judge others because the way you judge others is how you will be judged. The Bible tells us to judge righteously. The only way we can judge something righteously is by the word of God. Because if we judge by emotion, that means I judge, my, I judge this situation by how I feel today. That is an unrighteous measurement of judgment. Why? Because I'll feel different tomorrow. I'll feel some, some way else another week. And so the thing is, if you judge unrighteously, that's the same way you're going to be judged. A lot of people say, I have so many haters. Well, you've been the hater. You sowed a seed and great, reaped a, an abundant harvest. So being humble is not viewing yourself more highly than you ought. It's having an accurate view of yourself. So when God says something, pride rejects it because it believes it knows better. When God says something, pride rejects it because that person believes they know better. That is an excessively high opinion of yourself. You think you know better than God in his word. When God says something, humility accepts it. The humble person may not understand it, but they believe God knows more than them, and his word is wiser than the way they think. That is having an accurate view of yourself. Like God may say something where he's like, I don't understand, but sir, I choose to believe it. Help me understand it. But he's like, I believe God knows more than me. But we live in a day where people think they know more than God. We live in a day where people think they know more than his words. We live in a day of pride. A day where people are being resisted by God. Pride will cause you to walk away from God's path because you believe you know better. God says, I want you to go right. You're like, eh, eh, eh. I choose left. That's pride. Because you think you know better than God. Pride causes you to be resisted by God. So let me give you the definition of resist for this verse. It means to be opposed by God. It means to range and battle against that's a fight you can't win. See, here James is quoting Proverbs. He's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34, which says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly or to the humble. Scorneth means to mock. Scorners are those who talk arrogantly, the mockers and the deriders, those who mock God's path, those who mock his word, who mock his will, who mock his just commandments. Those who deride what the word of God has to say. Those who talk arrogantly about the word, saying, well, this, that was written then, but that's not for 2019. The Bible calls those people scorners. And it says, God will mock the scorners. This is what James is quoting, what Peter will quote as well, about being resisted by God. But he gives more grace unto the lowly. See, James 4, 6 in the Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. 
but he gives more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit, to meet this evil tendency in all others fully. This is why he says, God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, to those who are humble enough to receive it. See, one of the reasons the pride don't get grace is because they're not humble enough to receive it. They're the people who say, well, I don't need grace. I don't want grace. Oh, no, you need grace. You need all 19 definitions of grace. You don't just need one. You don't need five. You need all 19. You need all of it. Whether it's favor, you need it. Whether it's power of the Holy Ghost, you need it. Whether it's the gifts of the Spirit, you need it. Whether it's liberality, you need it. Whether it's graciousness, you need it. Whether it's giving thanksgiving, you need it. But the pride can't receive it. Those who are proud can't receive it. But those who humble themselves and say, yep, God knows better. I have an accurate view of myself. Yep, I know the word of God is smarter than me. Those people who yield to God's way, who follow his path, can receive the grace. Those who are so full of themselves, they go in their own way, will not receive the grace. And the thing is, we're not talking about sinners right now. James was not writing to sinners. He was writing to church people. So we're not talking about the proud in the world. We're talking about the proud in the church. Church people resisted by God. Well. See, as we read verse 7 earlier, we understand pride is a matter of submission. Will you submit your will to God's will? Or will you do your own thing because you know better? Have you allowed your mind to be convinced that you know better? Have you allowed your emotions to interfere, to cause you to feel that your way is better? See, a lot of people will make emotional decisions because they're angry in the moment, sad in the moment, and they say, God wants me to do this, but that's not how I feel. They did me wrong. They did this, they did this. I don't feel like doing what God said, so I feel like going my own way. That's still pride. You've given in to your emotions and willfully rejected God's path. Have you allowed your soul to be filled with pride, Christian? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Give myself some amens in advance. Amen. Preach. You're doing a good job. Amen. Amen. Preach. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Praise the Lord. Shabbat. Barak. First Peter chapter 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you refusing to cast your care your worry and anxiety is an act of pride when you refuse to roll your care on God you are essentially saying that you know better and you can handle it better when you decide to handle your problems affliction and persecution your way instead of God's way that is pride Peter goes on and says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. So this whom he can devour, of course, is whom he can't devour. 
whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. So let me give you this example. Minister Kurt, come help me for a second. Brother Robert, come help me for a second. So we're going to allow Minister Kurt to be God today. Allow him to play God. <laughs> Brother Robert is going to play the enemy. Now, it says the enemy comes as a roaring lion. And say he is one. He acts like one. So let's back up a few steps. So he's the enemy. Can you give me a good roar? A good roar. And so I'm going to be you. We're walking the path with God. Remember, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. We're walking the path God has for us. And so that's the enemy we're going to resist. But the thing is, as a lion, they don't always come up at you the first way. Sometimes they try to sneak from another way. So I want you to sneak behind. And so as this is going on, you're walking with God, but you decide to get proud about something, filled with pride about something. And so now you put yourself on opposite sides of God. Now you're in a position for God to resist you. And your back is turned on the enemy who's trying to devour you. How many of you realize there's no escape from this situation? Instead of receiving grace, which is also help from God, you're now being resisted by God because you chose to resist his plan by being filled with pride. You're being resisted, and there's the devourer. This is how too many Christians live their life. Resisted by God and devoured by Satan. Thank you, guys. We are supposed to resist the devil, not be devoured by him. He may bring pressure, afflictions, and persecutions our way, but our job is to resist and not worry. Resist and go God's way. Resist and yield to the word of God. Resist the devil, oppose him, set yourself against him, and he will flee from you. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy, a young pastor. And he's telling him about how, what to do in the church. And he's telling him about people for different positions to put under him. Because Timothy is not only a pastor, he's getting to a place where he's a bishop overseeing multiple churches. And he's telling him about people to put under him in a job as an assistant pastor or other pastors. He says, don't put a novice. Now, what is a novice here? It means someone who is recently saved. Paul's not saying anything about their age. He says, if they just got saved, don't put them in a position of authority. Why? They just got saved. They don't know anything. They could be gifted. They could be talented. They could be equipped. Don't put them in authority. Why? Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That they get proud about being promoted so quickly. They fall into the condemnation. That word means judgment of the devil, or the same judgment Satan fell into. The Amplified Classic Edition says this way, he must not be a new convert, or he may develop a beclouded and stupid state of mind. I just like how they translated that. 
as a result of pride, be blinded and by conceit and fall into the condemnation that the devil once did. Well, how do we know that the devil fell into the condemnation or judgment concerning pride? Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 tells us about him. That the prophet says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, which is the weak in the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. He said, I'm going to exalt myself to a position I have no place being in. He already had a high position. But he thought, well, my, well, look at how I am. I should be God. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. Now, the thing is, notice he's trying to work the same system that God has. God said it, and it was. Now, Satan's saying what he's going to do, and he's expecting it's going to happen. But notice how the prophet is, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So we know Satan did rise up and took a third of God's angels with him and resisted God and waged war, and they lost terribly. Jesus describes his defeat in Luke 10, 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It was like this. God backslapped Satan. Down he went. He fell like lightning. So that lets you know the judgment of pride is always a fall and a fast fall. Satan is full of pride. He is pride personified. When you are full of pride, you look just like your enemy. When you are full of pride, you look just like your enemy. Satan in his pride thought he could take on God and win. He got caught up in his pride and wanted to be God. Pride will cause you to fall and take you off of God's path. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The reverence of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward, forward mouth do I hate. This is wisdom personified talking. Wisdom hates pride. Wisdom is the enemy of pride. So if you're full of pride, you're not going to walk in wisdom. And if you're not wise, that leads another category. Fool. So if you're going to be full of pride, you're just saying, well, I choose to be the best fool I know. Proverbs eleven twelve says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly or with the humble is wisdom. When you choose the path of having an accurate view of yourself, of thinking soberly, or thinking in line with the word of God, and agreeing God knows more than you, wisdom is with that lifestyle. Proverbs 4, 14, 3 in New Living Translation says, a fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him. A fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him. But the words of the, of the wise keep them safe. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. 
Humility puts yourself on the path to receive honor. Proverbs 21.4 says, A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Well, that's clear. Proverbs 28.25 says, He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. But he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Staying in offense is an act of pride. Refusing to forget is an act of pride. The proud create more strife. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Obadiah 1, 3 says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. This lets you know that pride is an open door to deception. That if you stay in pride, you're opening the door to be deceived. And when you are deceived, whatever you think you do is right. The person who is deceived will do the wrong thing, but they'll think that they are right. And it's hard to convince them otherwise. Because they are deceived. So let's use this example. I'll use Minister Kurt again. So just stay right there. Stand up. So how many of you can know that Minister Kurt is standing up? How many of you can see him standing up? He's standing up, right? But Minister Kurt is deceived. He will swear to you he is sitting down. <laughs> but when I tell everybody to stand up, guess what he's going to do? He's going to sit down. And y'all going to look around and say, well, why is Minister Kurt sitting down when everyone else is standing up? He says, what are you talking about? I am standing up. He is deceived. In a deceived person's mind, everything they do is right. Everything they do is justified. And pride opens the door to deception. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5. Remember everything you see in Romans chapter 1, that long list of sins people are given over to? Remember how part of the list starts out when they knew God as God, they didn't glorify him as God? They decided to go their own way? Pride. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. So this is telling the story of Belteshazzar, the king. He made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank, drank wine before the thousand. So he made a party for a thousand politically high officials. And while he drank the wine, he commanded to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. So these are holy articles that were dedicated for the service of the one true God. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and then praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. They took God's holy things. And as they were partaking from God's holy things, they gave glory to something else. Notice what happened next. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand 
and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So all of a sudden, in this party, everybody's drinking, everybody's partying, and the king happens to look in one direction. And all of a sudden, where the candle is going, because remember, it's night, the light is on the wall, a hand appears. All he could see is a hand. Imagine what's going through his mind. Like, oh, there's a hand. And the hand began to write on the wall. Then the king's countenance changed. He got sober real quick. There was no amount of alcohol that could stop him from seeing that. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against each other. You know, he had, I guess, an ancient form of Exlax. And he began to shake as that hand began to write. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known the king the interpretation thereof. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. So they could see the words, but they had no understanding what it meant. See, pride can keep you from seeing what you should see. And so the queen says, hey, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, there was this guy named Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar gave him a different name, and he could interpret dreams. He could solve the hardest widows. And point, Nebuchadnezzar had promoted him over all these people that you're trying to get to translate what that wall says. So the king calls for Daniel. And Daniel comes in. The king makes sure it's the right Daniel. He says, I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. And now the wise men and the astrologers have, brought, have been brought in before me, and they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of a, thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Verse 16, and I've heard of you that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, you shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts to yourself. Give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages tremble and feared before him. Whom he would slew and whom he kept alive and whom he would set up, whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, pride can harden your mind. Notice that's what the prophet of God said. Pride can harden your mind. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appoints over it whomsoever he will. 
and you, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled your heart. Though, notice this, you knew all of this. You knew the story. You saw it happen. You knew the reason he lost his mind was because of his pride. You know his mind came back when he gave God glory. You knew all of this, but you didn't humble yourself in your heart. You knew all of this and decided to take the holy thing and disgrace it. You knew all of this, and in your pride, this is what you've done. You lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine in them. And you have praised the gods of silver, of gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hands your breath is. Wow. And whose all are your ways has you not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him so he said that hand came from him and this writing was written and this is the writing that was written many many tackle you farson this is the interpretation of the thing many God has numbered your kingdom and finished it twice God has numbered your kingdom and finished it tackle you are weighed and the balances and are found lacking Paris your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You're done. Wow. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a gold chain about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be a third ruler in the kingdom. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Pride will cause you to have a lightning fast fall. Minds can be hardened in pride, and it can cost you your position, power, and influence. Have you been in pride so long that there is writing on the wall that you cannot see it nor understand it? Proverbs 16:5 Amplified Classic Edition says, Everyone proud and arrogant in heart is disgusting, hateful, and exceedingly offensive to the Lord. So the people who are proud and arrogant in their heart become disgusting and hateful to God. They become exceedingly offensive to the Lord. So you start in pride, you'll end up being offensive and hateful towards God. Then the writer says, be assured, I pledge it, they will not go unpunished. See, the thing is, Ezekiel chapter 16, God is judging his people and the lifestyle they've chosen. And he uses this poetic terminology and he says, Sodom is your sister. Now, they knew the book of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah. Those large metro areas and the cities in the metro areas were destroyed with judgment from God. And we usually think when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the rampant sexual immorality was the cause of judgment. That was part of it. Ezekiel gives you a little bit more. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. I want you to look at it with me so you don't think I'm making this up. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread. The New Living Translation puts the word gluttony. 
and abundance of idleness. What's that? You're lazy. Was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So it didn't say that they did, every once in a while they did something for the poor and needy. They never helped the poor and the needy. You had it in your power to help out, but you didn't. Now, the Bible does not say you have to help every poor person you meet. The Bible actually doesn't even say that churches have to give to every poor person that comes and asks for something. It doesn't. Paul actually says, if they're under this age, tell them no. But one of the judgments for Sodom was, y'all didn't do anything. Because even Jesus said, the poor you have with you always, and whenever you want to, you can be a blessing to them. Sodom didn't do anything for the poor or the oppressed. They didn't give anything. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Abomination is also translated as detestable sins, as disgusting and repulsive acts. Genesis, Jude, and 2 Peter describes this as sexual immorality. Jude 1.7, the New Living Translation, says it this way. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and served as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. 2 Peter 2.6 also calls Sodom and Gomorrah an example. What is the point of an example? If you do what the example does, you will get the same result. So even in New Testament, in a time of grace, Jude, Jesus' little brother, Peter, one of the inner three of Jesus' 12 disciples, point to Sodom and Gomorrah as an example for anybody who would follow that path. What was the open door and first in the list of Sodom's list of sins? Pride. Pride opened the door. Pride was the path that led them down the path to being sexually immoral in such a way that hadn't been seen. So, well, how bad was it? I encourage you to read the story in Genesis. But two angels came to rescue Lot and his family because Abraham was related to Lot and Abraham had been praying. And even Peter says Lot was righteous, so Lot didn't compromise even though he was in a city full of ungodliness, which means it doesn't matter how bad the culture gets, you can still be righteous. And so Abraham was praying for Sodom and Gomorrah because God revealed to him that judgment is coming because Sodom and Gomorrah has done all these different things. And Abraham didn't know Lot was there, but he began to pray. So will not the God of all the earth do right? He's a friend of God. He has a right to intercede even for the ungodly and the wicked, the people who deserve judgment. Abraham began to pray, if there are 50 people who are righteous and the two metro area and their surrounding cities, if there's just 50, will you destroy it? No, not for 50 because you ask. And he works it all the way down to 10. Abraham thought there has to be 10 people in Sodom, Gomorrah, and all their surrounding cities that are righteous. He was wrong. And so before judgment could come, God sent two angels to get Lot and his family out. So people say, oh, America's going to be destroyed? Not while I'm here. 
Now, if I suddenly disappear, <laughs> then maybe. Because <laughs> as long as there are the righteous here, it can't be destroyed. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. It can't be done away with because we're here. Now, when the rapture happens, well, I encourage you to make the first rapture. There are others in the tribulation, but don't wait for the second bus ride or the third bus ride. Get in on the first. Join us in the party in heaven, not in what they can go through down here on the earth. And so God sends these angels to get Lot out. So everybody saw these two angels walk in. And so Lot goes and tells his sons-in-law. If they're sons-in-law, that means they're married, right? They are married to his daughters. And Lot says his daughters are still virgins. But Lot's sons-in-law didn't even listen to him. They said, ah, oh, you sound crazy. But in the meanwhile, all the other men of the city try to beat down Lot's door. Because we saw these two guys walk in. Bring them out so we can know them. It's not talking about, oh, let's meet and greet. Let's go have dinner together. No, they said, bring them out so we can rape them. That's how fallen Sodom and Gomorrah were. They got to that place because of pride. You might say, well, they had no witness in that city. No, 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 no. A few chapters before, we read it, Genesis 14. There was a war. And the mighty king of the area who had other kings came and took captive Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities because of the issues they had with their king. Abraham and the people in his house waged war against many armies and won. They all knew Abraham and his God. They all saw what happened if you follow Abraham's God. They all saw Abraham stand there and offer sacrifice with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek says, you are blessed of God, the most high God who made heaven and earth. They had a witness. Abraham didn't leave far, live far away. He wasn't near them, but they all knew where he was. They had a witness, yet they rejected it. They were proud. And eventually, they were judged. But they couldn't be judged until Lot and his family got out of the city. Pride leads to judgment. It always does. Pride will cause you to be deceived. It will take you off of God's path for your life. Pride will cause you to fall and lose position and influence. Pride will harden your mind. Pride will bring you to destruction and ruin. One more story I want to tell you. 2 Samuel 14, 25. You know, David had a lot of kids. He had many sons. And they were different sons. Now, God told him that Solomon would be king. So out of all his sons, Solomon wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the firstborn. But he said, Solomon will be king. Some of his sons didn't like that. And one of them who didn't like it was Absalom. And when we look at chapter 14, verse 25, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation to bring it home. 
It says, now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. Whoa. So all Israel agreed. They had the most handsome man contest and says, this dude wins. It says he cut his hair only once a year. And then only because it was so heavy. Because back then they put oils and spices, they even put gold in their hair. And when he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. So one, I remember one place I read that it was like a festival whenever Absalom cut his hair. I read this commentary this morning, and it said that some people, after he cut it, it would be sold, and some people would buy it. <laughs> Nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> Ancient weaves in the Bible. Says they would put it along their head and their forehead and everything. See, Absalom's hair was like good weave, not the cheap weave. The good stuff. Now, one of the things you understand about Absalom, his hair was a source of his pride. Not the only source, but a source of his pride. Some people who are deceived by riches have riches as their source of pride. See, do you know what's dangerous, foolish, scary, but also seems normal all at the same time? Becoming proud of something God gave you. It's a gift from God, yet you become proud over it. Pride can cause you to lust for something that is not yours. God said Solomon would be king, but Absalom wanted to be king instead. So when you get to chapter 15, verse 1, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning, he's about to enact a plan, and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, so they're going to the king to hear judgment. Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. No, the king was going to hear it. But Absalom, he has nobody to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. He'd bring them in close. He said, no, don't bow to me. We're brothers. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, four years of doing this, he begins to enact his plan and unleashes an insurrection against his father, the king. To appoint David, the anointed man of God, prophet of God, king, poet, psalmist, musician, flees for his life with his remaining family. Because now Absalom, full of pride, will kill his father, or will at least try. And so he has an advisor. One advisor decides to stay with him instead of David. 
And it says, what can we do? What's our next step to make sure people know that I'm going to be king and David's not coming back? And so the advisor says, you should sleep with all your father's concubines. The ultimate insult to injury. So he puts a tent on top of the palace so all Israel can see it and does that. Pride. David is running for his life. The people who are loyal to David are running for his life. But eventually, through a long story short, God has an inside man there. See, the thing is, you get caught up in pride and you dare to touch God's anointed. It says, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. There is judgment for going against the anointed. There is anointed. There is judgment for putting your mouth on God's anointed. Just because you don't agree, don't understand, doesn't mean you're supposed to talk or post or tweet or share. There is judgment on that. Say, well, well how is God going to judge him if I don't post about it? Really? Well, how is God judge if I don't tell someone else about it? God knows how to deal with his anointed. And God will deal with them, especially if people pray. But if people post instead of pray, if people run their mouth to others instead of turn to God and pray. So the battle begins. Absalom takes the largest army he can gather, and he goes against David's army. They tell David to stay here. We need you to be alive. So we're going to go out and battle against them. It is a much smaller army. It says, so the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. And there was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest. Notice this. Then were killed by the sword. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a battle. You would think people would die by sword and arrow and spear. More people died because of the force than the sword. See, pride takes you to a place where you're not supposed to be, and you end up dying in situations you're never supposed to be in. It's not even the attack coming against you. It's the situation you put yourself in. And so Absalom is fleeing for his life. And what does the scripture say? As he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. And his meal kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of the things that was the source of his pride caused him to get caught up. The source of your pride will always cause you to get caught up. And what happened as he was there? Eventually, the men came and stabbed him through the heart three times and took their short swords and chopped him to pieces. Caught up in his pride. God said that Solomon would be king. Absalom wanted to be king instead. He stole the hearts of the people of Israel and was caught up by what had been a source of his pride. Pride will cause you to get off God's path and caught in such a way that it will bring you to destruction and ruin. Don't be like Absalom. Don't be like Belshazzar. Don't be like the people of Sodom. Don't be like your enemy. Yield to the plan and path of God. Yield to God's word and cast every care. As Romans 12, 3 told us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think soberly. Think accurately about yourself. 
If you are in sin, repent. Don't justify your sin. Don't call your sin normal. Don't call your sin a lifestyle. Don't call your sin whatever you want to call it, some type of disorder that it's okay, I have this disorder, so that's who I have to be. Don't normalize your sin. Don't make excuses for your sin. That's pride. Call your sin what it is and repent. Judge yourself and repent. Say, this is sin. This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it. God, I admit it. Forgive me and help me and cleanse me. To think soberly is to think accurately and to be in your right mind. If you think too lowly of yourself, you are not thinking soberly. If you think too highly of yourself, you are not thinking soberly. So how should you think of yourself the way God does? Identify with what God says about you. You need to say, I am who he says I am. I will do what he tells me to do. I am his. When temptation comes your way, you need to say, nope, I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. When old lifestyles try to creep up, nope, I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. I am who God says I am. I do what he says for me to do. I am his. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but before honor is humility. We are entering a season of open doors, a time of dreams coming to pass, a time of visions being fulfilled. This is a time of lifting up. It is a time of honor. But if you do not humble yourself and get on God's path and do it God's way, you'll miss many things that God has for you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The hand of God represents the Holy Ghost. So humble yourself under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Yield to his way, to his plan, to his path. Do what he tells you to do. Stop going your own way. Go God's way. Make sure you're on God's path for your life. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Pride is an open door. A lot of people have issues in their lives, whether there are sicknesses and disease or different problems in their family, and they stand on the word to get rid of it. They may even come for hands to be laid on so they can be healed. And I see sometimes the sickness and the disease and certain problems are just the fruit, not the root. Because the thing is, if you don't get rid of the root, the fruit will come back. And if the root has been anything we've been talking about over the last several weeks, whether it's offense, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, whether it's deceitfulness of riches, whether it's lust of other things, whether it's insecurities and discouragement, or whether it's pride, you need to uproot the root. You need to ask for forgiveness in any area you have unforgiveness in, or any area you decided to go your own way, any area you decided to act in pride. Ask for forgiveness. Search your heart right now. Close your eyes and look into your own heart. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. Now, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app. 
as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the Metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.